Hello and welcome to another edition of Founders and Grounded, the podcast for the startup and entrepreneurial community. Every episode, we feature a different business and look at their experiences, both good and bad, on their road to business greatness. And with me to dissect all of that is my regular business startup guru, Mr. Ollie Collard. Hello, Ollie. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And once again, as we did for our COVID episode a few weeks ago, uh, we are recording this through the magic of communication technology. Hopefully, for you listening, it's not too bad an experience. It's not quite the same as being sat across the kitchen table. But hopefully, you will be able to get something from the next 25 minutes or so. Okay, Ollie. Uh, so, how are you coping in the current climate? You're doing all right? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a month or so in now, so it's starting to feel a bit more normal. So I do miss kind of that physical interaction with seeing friends and family though we are doing the whole virtual thing but I think you can't beat yeah seeing people in person and, and giving them a nice big hug so so obviously we can't make every edition from now on a coronavirus edition because I think people are probably getting a bit bored of that by now so we can always refer you back to our previous episode which has loads of good and I think still quite timely advice if you're a small business or a startup dealing with the current situation. So what we're going to do, we'll just leave that there for now. Uh, We're going to try and maintain some kind of normality here and continue with our series of podcasts because we did have a number of uh, episodes scheduled all the way through till June. So we want to try and crack on with those and just give you a little bit of escapism if you like. We actually managed to get quite a few interviews in the bag before lockdown took place uh, thanks to ollie so uh, without further ado ollie tell us about this week's feature business please yeah so i'm speaking to luke lang who's one of the co-founders of crowdcube they're an equity investment platform for raising funding they're not strictly a startup now themselves they started back in 2011 but they've kind of rapidly scaled their operation they're actually the world's first equity crowdfunding platform and they help lots of startups to actually raise funding and get their businesses off the ground. So I thought there'd be a really good business to kind of interview and get their insights um, and experiences from all of their startups that they help. All right, Ollie, that all sounds good. So let's get on with it then. And it'd be good to get an idea of how it all began, maybe. Yeah, so I actually met Luke down at innovation event at the SS Great Britain. And I was speaking to one of our past guests there. Matt Dyson from um, Rocket Um, and Matt actually raised some of their initial funding on the Crowdcube platform and he introduced me to Luke and we got talking that's how it really came about and I went down to their HQ down in Exeter I quite like that about them there they have got a London obviously presence but their HQ is down in the West Country I had some really interesting chats with Luke about how the business came about the origins of it and what the kind of genesis of the business was. So we'll hear a bit more from Luke about how the business came about. So the idea of Crowdcube stretches as far back as 2008, really around the kind of um, the financial crisis and crash that that we all experienced. Darren and I used to work together. He came in one day with this crazy idea for Crowdcube and it was really based off of Dragon's Den and the idea of democratising investment. He had watched an entrepreneur pitch his idea to the Dragons. The Dragons didn't like it. He loved the idea but didn't have the money, the £50,000 that they were after but thought, well, there must be someone else 
watching this or, or a group of other people watching this that would, would kind of invest alongside me. And that was the real genesis and the idea behind Crowdcube. And it was really born out of a real passion for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship as well. Darren's background is is an entrepreneur. He'd started and funded a few businesses before that. I had worked in, in startups. So both of us were very much united in this passion for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship, that grit, determination, tenacity to want to do something different, to push at the edges, to, to come up with new ideas and challenge the, the status quo. Um, and at that time as well, post-recession, it was harder than ever for startup early stage businesses to access finance. Um, and we've really, really strongly felt that, that Crowdcube could be part of the solution and really help entrepreneurs raise that kind of seed early stage capital. And we were really conscious as well that at that time, early stage investing, early, early stage equity investment was the preserve of the wealthy and the well-connected. You, you needed to be a high net worth, sophisticated investor to be able to invest in these you know, exciting, ambitious businesses. And we felt that was fundamentally wrong. So we wanted to democratise that and enable ordinary people like you and I to be able to back businesses that they, that they really believe in. So, so that was really the genesis of, of the idea. And it took us a while to, to get it off the ground. As I say, we started thinking about it in 2008, 2009, but it wasn't until 2011 when we, when we launched. So your tagline in inverted commas is funding the wonderful. I get a real sense there's a, a real depth and meaning behind this. Can you expand a bit on Yeah, so around 12 months ago, we went through a process of looking at our brand, our position, how, you know, our mission, and we spoke to everyone in the, in, in the business, actually. We spoke to primarily the team, actually, the management team, but, but also you know, all of the departments into workshops. And we essentially, and, and we spoke to our customers as well, and we essentially asked them, you know, what do you love about Crowdcube? You know, why did you join the company? What inspires you? What, you know, why did you jump out of bed in the morning? And it always came back to, to one thing, and it was always the businesses that we fund. That, that seemed to be the, the central unifying theme behind you know, what was inspiring and what was truly great about Crowdcube. And the fact that you know, these businesses are pushing at the edges. They are challenging the status quo. They're, they are coming up with new ideas and new thinking. And there's a, there's a sense of real passion and determination and grit behind the companies to want to make a difference and to go on and, and, and change the world. And they may be changing the world um, like Monzo, which is a, you know, a challenger bank with 3 million-plus customers or, or Revolut with 7 million-plus customers, and they're redefining personal banking. Or it may be pip and nut and you're making just a, a healthy nutritious peanut butter that people absolutely love and adore so you know, that making a difference and that impact that you have can mean different things to different people and we really wanted to bring that to life I think and, and I think we had gone through a period where we had to some degree neglected our brand our, our old mission although it still worked we didn't feel worked for the next kind of 10 years of, of Crowdcube. Crowdcube in the early days was was a disruptor it was a rebel it was challenging the status quo it was churning things up and mixing things around a, um, a little bit and to some degree we had become not a victim of our own success but Crowdcube had transitioned from an alternative source of finance to in some ways 
a preferred source of finance. You know, it was an option out there that everyone knew about. And we felt strongly that the brand needed to step up and move forward to that. And it was brilliant when we went round and we spoke to everyone and it all gravitated and all went back to businesses that we fund. Because you can trace that right the way back to the roots of the business and why we started in the first place, which was all about belief in entrepreneurialism that can be a power for good and can make a difference. When you're looking at your brand and your purpose and mission and all of that, you know, it has to be authentic. There has to be something genuine about it. So for us to be able to really trace that back and link it to the real roots and the reason why we started the business was really, really important. Okay, Ali, so that's the origin story, really, the, a bit of background to Crowdcube. And what, what's really apparent, even just looking at their website, is they've definitely got that disruptive thing going on. They're there to change the world. I suppose like a lot of startups want to change the world in their own particular way, but these guys certainly. But funny how it had its origins inspired by Dragon's Den. Of, of, all, of all programs, it had to be Dragon's Den. That was sort of almost the, the starting point for this. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of inspiration to be taken from Dragon's Den. Obviously, there's lots of bits that are just made for, for TV purposes and over-dramatised. You know, there's lots of inspiring businesses that go on there, and lots of startups have the issue of raising capital. And essentially, the, the co-founders there just wanted to make access to investment easier and more democratic. That They have got quite lofty ambitions, as you say, but I think they're they're genuinely looking to help businesses start and scale so ollie what makes them different from say businesses like kickstarter for example who've also been around for a while now how are crowdcube different so kickstarter were one of the original crowdfunding platforms but they're focused solely on rewards-based platforms they were the first to market a u.s company however obviously crowdcube are focused on equity investment and giving people a stake in the startups that are being funded. So Crowdcube essentially created a new industry in regards to equity crowdfunding. There are other equity crowdfunding platforms such as Cedars, probably one of their main competitors, but I think Crowdcube were the first to market. Just from looking at the the blurb on the website, it seems like they themselves have disrupted crowdfunding in principle. Um, And also they're now looking to support businesses who in their own way want to disrupt so it feels like they're trying to encourage that sort of behavior and that mindset among wannabe businesses disruption is at the heart of what they do they basically disrupted the angel investment network and they helped disrupted businesses get off the ground so invoking change is at the heart of what they do and they really want investment to be democratized and give power back to the people what was interesting just hearing Luke speak there is that they weren't from a financial background necessarily. They just got the idea. They saw the idea. They saw the value of the idea of the, of the premise and they ran with it. And it just shows that you don't necessarily need to be a, 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 an expert or an authority in something in order for it to take off as a business idea. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. I think a lot of businesses that I work with do come from that particular industry, but it just goes to show that you can learn as you go. Obviously, they had the kind of startup experience running several businesses previously themselves. So they were very au fait with how business works. But yeah, they weren't very au fait with the financial markets and particularly the regulation. They had to do a lot of lobbying, understanding all the financial regulations along the way. So that probably was one of their biggest barriers. The government did actually change the 
regulations and create a bespoke framework for equity crowdfunding. And that really changed the game in terms of their business model. So, uh, and that was only due to their kind of lobbying to government as well. So really hats off to both of them to actually learn very quickly. Absolutely. Okay, Ollie. Well, let's move on there. So we've got the backstory, the origin story to Crowdcube and some of the principles of what they're about. So let's now look at, as we do with all our businesses, let's look at the barriers and, and the things that they came up against on that road to success. There were lots of challenges to, to overcome. Not least, it was a regulated activity investing into businesses so we had to talk to the FSA as it were what was at the, the time and make sure they were comfortable with what we were doing. The real challenge that, that we faced was that we were creating a, an entirely new market that nothing like this existed before us and we were disrupting the traditional you know old-fashioned way of doing it the angel networks and, and, and like. So there was a long process of education of entrepreneurs investors the wider market the the media as to the power of crowdfunding the power of equity crowdfunding and and the difference that it could that it could make um, and we were we were really lucky at the time like reward-based crowdfunding the um, kickstarter and indiegogo in the united states was really starting to to take off in the uk as well we had peer-to-peer lending so there was this there was this movement towards alternative finance for businesses thankfully post-crisis you know the government at the time was was looking to back and support these kind of alternative routes to finance of which crowdcube was one so we were able to benefit from from that but i always sort of think you know crowdcube's been going for nine ten years and i always think the first five years was really about educating and you know proving that it worked and changing people's perceptions of equity finance investments you know equity crowdfunding and, and crowdcube and the latter five years have really been where we've kind of hit the heights and really really grown rapidly of course you you look back if, if i look back today in the early days like trying to convince entrepreneurs to put their their business plan their idea their secret source online was a completely alien concept you know and, and that was met with a huge amount of resistance from from a lot of people and we had to be pretty smooth in kind of convincing and reassuring building that trust and confidence uh, from from the entrepreneur side um, and, and also yeah, yeah having you know hundreds potentially thousands of investors as well mm. you know many entrepreneurs were were somewhat fearful of that as well so so there were lots of kind of barriers and, and obstacles for us to to overcome can you share a moment where you've really learned something the hard way in business yeah that's a that's a good that's a really good question i, I think kind of growing a team took Darren and I by surprise. I think when it was when there was just a handful of people and we were mostly in the same office, life's easy and life's good and everyone gets it and everyone understands it and you, know, you don't need to have mission statements and, and all of this stuff because people just understand it. They can feel it and hear it in the in, in and around the office. I think we really underestimated how growing from a dozen or so people to 30 plus people particularly across multiple offices as well you know we were based down in Exeter but we we quickly um, opened an office in in London because from a business development point of view that's where we needed to be Um, but we also had an office 
in Barcelona fairly, fairly early on as well. That introduced lots of challenges around communication and making sure everyone was on the same page um, and just making sure everyone could collaborate together in an effective manner. And I have to say, we didn't get it all right in, in those early days. But, you, you know, we, we very much persevered. We tried to learn from our mistakes. We tried to Im- improve what we were doing. You know, I stepped forward to today. I think we've got, you know, we've got a really good culture at Crowdcube, which a lot of people say culture comes from the top down. But and I, I sort of disagree with that, actually. I think the sentiment of the culture comes from the top down, but I think a really good culture comes from the bottom up. And, and we very much empower the team to drive that culture. And, and we get some really good feedback from new starters on how the onboarding process is really slick and um, how friendly everyone is. And you, know, you go around and meet all of the, the teams and that. So it's very much thinking about how we embed people within the company as, um, as quickly and effectively as possible. But I have to say that you know, the early days were somewhat haphazard. You know, one person's how they join the business would have a very different experience to, to the next person. And, and we, we relied on that kind of sense of empowerment, yeah, maybe a little bit too much, you know, build your own, you know, there's your desk, can you build it, sort of mentality and figure it out as you go along, yeah. which is great and some people relish it and some people love that, but it does mean that you don't have that consistency of people understanding you know, what the business is all about, how it works, how it operates. So we, we've sort of had to grow up a little bit and make sure that, that those kind of systems and processes and that onboarding was, was up to speed. And, and we introduced kind of company-level objectives, which to some degree Darren and I resisted in the early days because we, we felt like we were morphing into this corporate and we were like, God, that feels like where we used to work. And we'd always thought it was a bit naff and you used to have you know, the company objectives hang, hanging from the ceiling and we were like, God, it's cringeworthy. But after a while, you realise the value of some of that stuff. And actually, yeah, having company objectives or having company values isn't naff. It's how you implement them and how you make them, how you, how you make the, the company um, feel about them. So it, it all comes down to, to the execution. And actually, those things are really, really important for businesses of all sizes to make sure everyone's pointing in the right di- direction, working towards the, the same goals. Everyone understands what the goals are. So yeah, us, us introducing though, all of those things to, to make sure Crowdcube can grow and scale and expand in an in effective way. Um, but yeah, we, we absolutely learned that the hard way with, with lots of mistakes along the yeah. way for sure. What outside help did you get in addition to learning yourself in terms of maybe a mentor or a non-exec director? So Darren and I don't have a background in finance at all. So you could argue that that's possibly one of our strengths, and but also certainly one of our weaknesses in the early days. And that that kind of bloody mindedness and not really maybe not understanding it is what gave us that drive and that determination just to crack on and do the impossible, or, or so it seemed at the time. But we did recognise the value of bringing it on board people that did have experience in that. So we had several non-exec directors in the early days that were really important in, in terms of guiding us and shaping our thoughts and you know, helping and, and, and supporting us. You know, I, I think you know, this is like 10 years ago. I think nowadays support networks for, for entrepreneurs 
are so much better. And I think there's so many books out there, so much content. There's, there's so many entrepreneurs that have written books reflecting on their, their stories and their challenges and their trials and their tribulations and how they've overcome things. You know, think, you know, if there's one piece of advice that I would give to an entrepreneur, it would, it would really you know, read more, immerse yourself, you know, learn from all of this. Okay, so it's interesting that, in a way, it's probably both an advantage and a disadvantage that coming in not as experts, you come in with a fresh pair of eyes, but also you have to learn on the job and learn pretty quickly. I suppose you don't have the benefit of those years of experience that maybe their competitors already had, so they were having to learn fast. And I think because they were both involved with previous businesses, they, they know the value of kind of learning as you go to a certain extent and learning those lessons along the way. Ultimately, learning lessons the hard way is where you get the most learning from. They didn't have that background themselves. Also, the fact that they were at a slight disadvantage not being based in the financial global capital of London. Those two factors made them a bit different, maybe. And also, as you say, kind of gave them a bit of an edge, really, as well. Maybe naivety perhaps was a factor, but I think it gave them gave them that edge to actually really take the business by the horns. And Oli, for other startups listening to this particular programme, we covered off mentors and mentorship in previous editions. But again, this is where if you are having to learn fast, this is probably where a good mentor or a friendly face with that knowledge, with that experience is invaluable. Yeah, I mean, people that have been there, done it and got the T-shirt, they're going to give you so much valuable advice they've learnt the lessons themselves the hard way so essentially they can make you make better decisions and also accelerate your business growth by giving you good strategic advice so definitely the role of mentors is is key yeah just just finally coming back to the point around being less like a startup and more like a corporate it, it is a dilemma isn't it because obviously you have to do the right things you have to behave like a business and there there are certain things that in principle you, you must do but I suppose for the founders, it must be a real, emotionally quite a tough thing, you know, that they're, they're maybe having to give up some of the early things that made the business what it was. So this, this obviously must be so difficult for businesses to, to pull off successfully. So even as they scale up, they retain all those values and all those quirks that made them attractive at the outset. Yeah, it's, it's very hard to do. I think, you know, when they originally started out back in 2011, they probably had a a sort of a five-year plan, but they probably scaled quicker than they probably first realised. And when they passed that 30 mark in terms of their headcount, that's when they said the real challenges came in. Um, and I think you're right, it's about how do you keep that culture? Is your mission and your vision still the same as it was when you started out? So I think you've got to be able to adapt. Um, I think you've got to be able to ultimately employ the right people. I think with all businesses that scale quite quickly, recruitment is always the biggest issue. And I think from what I've heard from speaking to lots of successful business owners is that, you know, diversity is key. You know, get people from different backgrounds with different life experiences, different ages, different races, from different industries. And that's when you get a real mixing pot of different views and outlooks on life. And that's where you get some really interesting ideas and creativity. I think if you're employing people from the same university network or the same industry, then you're going to end up with the status quo. So I think it's about hiring the right people, but also maintaining that culture. 
So Ollie, as we always do with all of our guest businesses, we ask them for their wisdom. This program is all about sharing wisdom and advice as much as the experiences and what they've been through. So what did Luke have to offer in terms of advice for the businesses? The best piece of advice that I can give to an entrepreneur is just to listen. Because at CrowdQ, we've got a team of experts. You know, We've funded more businesses and raised more capital um, in equity crowdfunding than anywhere else in the world. And that cumulative knowledge and experience and expertise is embedded within the team. So, so they will be able to coach you and advise you on how to execute the campaign. So they'll talk to you about how you warm up your your community in advance of the campaign to make them feel really, really special. Um, they'll talk you through how to write your pitch, to write it in a compelling way that, with a, with a narrative that really brings the, the story or the emotive side of your business to life, but also reinforces the, the momentum and attraction that you've gained behind, behind the business. And, that, and they'll, they'll talk to you about how you actually execute it from a, from a comms point of view, you know, one of the things around crowdfunding is it's to some degree a, a, an exercise in in communication right and telling your community your customers your friends your family your network and communicating that to our network so they'll school you in how to do that in the most effective way how to build momentum behind the campaign so the the, the listen and if you listen to to our team and you ask questions it will stand you in in the best possible stead to be able to to execute a campaign in the most efficient and effective way and drive the right outcome for both sides. You know, our passion is about helping to fund really exciting, interesting businesses that are, that are on a mission to do something and make a difference. And so we're genuinely behind you. We genuinely really, really want your campaign to be a success. Well, keep it nice and simple. Normally we, we discuss a few things in terms of advice that, entrepreneurs pass on but here very very simple Ollie all about listening yeah and I think listening is probably one of the most underrated skills there's that classic saying about having two ears and one mouth for a reason and I think listening is one of the best ways to learn and um, hopefully lots of our listeners get lots of value from our from our content but I think in terms of just getting advice from experts is key so obviously they've been doing this since 2011 They've got experts in every particular area of crowdfunding, whether that's how to craft your video, how to communicate your your message, how to uh, build a tribe around your offering. So they've got some really good in-house experts that will coach you through your equity crowdfunding campaign. Just listening to their insights is, is really key. Yeah, I, I think it's a real skill, as you say, listening is, is, is a very undervalued skill. In this day and age where we are continually confronted with information news voices opinions it probably makes it actually harder to stop and to force yourself to sit down and listen to someone else's perspective simply because of the weight of noise that's out there but actually by doing that you can gain a lot and from a business point of view certainly that you can then apply to your own circumstances most definitely i mean we are living in an information overload point of time where tension spans are very short so it is hard to kind of really focus in on good content but i think if you can do that and actually give that your full attention then you're going to get the benefits from that all right well thank you once again to luke for taking the time to speak with us on founders and grounded if you want to find out more about their story and 
we've referenced the website a few times. It's simply crowdcube.com. It's a nice website. It gives a, a sense of, and a flavour of what they're all about and the team behind the story. So uh, if you want to know more about them, then it's worth checking them out online at crowdcube.com. That pretty much brings us to a close for this particular edition. Ollie, uh, just a reminder, please. I always ask you in your role as Mr. Social Media just to remind everyone listening as to how they can engage with us. Ollie, so what are those socials, please? So we are founded, grounded on Twitter, and we're founded and grounded on Facebook. So that's the best place to to follow us. And obviously, Andrew and I are both personally on LinkedIn. So search for Ollie Collard or Andrew Parsonage. Um, we also share all of our all of our episodes on LinkedIn as well, so a good platform to connect on. We are going to also start doing a mailing list to inform listeners about the news and reviews and everything going on at Founded and Grounded. So we're going to set up a landing page for that. We'll give you information on that on the next episode. Fantastic stuff. And once again, thank you for listening. We did publish earlier this year a schedule for our programmes. Obviously, that went out the window once the lockdown kicked in and other things took priority. But we will continue to put out an episode once every fortnight. And uh, Ollie, who have we got up next, please? So we've got the, the founder of Mini Meal Times, Marie Farmer. So she basically is trying to make cooking for your kids easier and more nutritious. I think that's going to be edition number 13. Ollie, thanks for your time. Thank you. Lovely to virtually speak with you once, once more through my computer. Indeed, Andrew, good as always. But I do look forward to uh, doing this again in person at some point, hopefully in the near future. Okay, thanks, Ollie. Take care. And to you listening also, I hope you've enjoyed this programme and thank you for following us. Take care, stay safe, obviously, and we'll speak with you again soon. Cheerio for now. <laughs>